In this episode, we meet some distant cousins of the SDWDOs. We also run into some sensual skellies. And we get a flashback to our haunted elementary school bathroom. You remember that? Yes. I remember <laughs> hearing noises in that bathroom. Noises is putting it lightly. Slamming. Oh. Slamming noises. Loud noises. Remember how at some point we had to convince our teachers to let us go in pairs because we were so freaked out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for coming back for a special Halloween episode of Replay Reviews. My name is Leah. <laughs> My Italian. Oh, <laughs> we are two friends who are here to replay a review and analyze your favorite video games. <laughs> and since Kathy has never seen the games before, it helps me view them through her fresh eyes. Almost like I'm discovering them again for the first time. <laughs> I hope I'll be a similar experience for you. It's a bit of a rough start. <laughs> I'm excited to to talk through this with you because, holy cow, that was a lot. It was a lot. I was excited to do this game because mm-hmm. when I played it, I was like, what the hell is going on? A lot of questions. Mm-hmm. But I say we just start from the, the beginning. Yeah. I feel like we get answers, but in the form of additional questions. I just feel like it's a cliffhanger there's so much uncertainty i don't think they did a good job wrapping up the end of the game and that's why i actually would rank outlast one's ending higher than this one and for me i I never thought i would say that i didn't think anything would get worse than outlast one's ending and (laughs) here we are i think that you just don't like endings I'm trying to prove you wrong, but I Name I one ending you didn't hate. I think Wolf Among Us? That's the biggest cliffhanger of any of them. Whistleblower. I, I don't think I hate the ending of Whistleblower, didn't I? I don't think so. I don't know yeah. if you liked it, but I didn't Whistleblower like it. has a great ending. Yeah. I love Whistleblower. Okay, I'll let you get started, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So while it's still raining blood, Blake is wandering around and eventually finds a document. There is... A phrase or a sentence in this that goes, Fear not the dreams that walk outside sleep, that by which ye shall be imprisoned and tortured, that shall dredge from the prisons of the memory your unrepented sins. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously referencing the daydreaming and toggling between the reality and dreams. And then there's another saying, I think it's paragraph seven within chapter 12. It says, And the air shall be as thick with locusts as will choke thy breath. Locusts are what attacked Blake and knocked him off the bridge. Mm-hmm. It's part of this, this prophecy that's being talked mm-hmm. about and apparently fulfilled. And yeah, I agree. This is definitely dis- uh, describing the dreams which seem to be part of this whole prophecy process. All of which lead up to the, the Antichrist. So after reading this chapter of the Gospel... Blake continues to wander around. He's chased by a pack of very aggressive, very naked men who chase him until he again finds himself back at the school. We see a bunch of hanging Jessicas, which is a line that I never imagined that I would be saying. And Blake records it. And are you ready to hear what it says in Mm -hmm. reverse? You killed her. And I never told a soul. I kept you 
secret. Our secret. Thank you. Thank you. You never told a soul. You let the small sorrow of her suicide wash over the unacceptable tragedy of her murder. So I hear you killed her. I never told a soul. I kept your secret. Our secret. Thank you. Thank you. You never told a soul. You let the small sorrow of her suicide wash over the unacceptable tragedy of her murder. It definitely is indicating that whoever's on the other side is thanking Blake for keeping a secret. And from what we know towards the end of the game, my theory is that the other side of the voice is the father or the priest. But if we do go under that assumption that he's the one who killed Jessica and Blake never said anything and... That's the sin. That's what causes Blake to feel guilty and stuff. And that's why he's hearing this stuff. Yeah. His name is Father Loudermilch, but we're just going to call him Father L. And so my question, is he talking to God or is he talking to Blake? Because I think this will maybe be something we further address in our summary when we review all these recordings. Because some of them sound more like a prayer than like he's talking to Blake. But I kind of lean towards, like, you. For this one, I think he is talking to Blake. And this gives us some insight into why Blake is so haunted by whatever happened. And that's a big theme in this, is about people sinning. And and I don't know what we're supposed to get from that, what our takeaway from that is. Yeah, to try to attack that question, if we go back to the last document we found, one of the lines is... From the prisons of thy memory, your unrepentant sins. So I think maybe this this focus on sins, not only is it probably Murkoff's way of just getting into your brain and freaking you out, I think the more the underlying message, if you will, is like, look at all this stuff now, all these people now, because they could never forgive themselves for whatever they did, you know, like it's going to come back. It's going to come back at some point or another. And now we're seeing somebody using that to <laughs> just really screw you up. But it's also unfair, though, because it seems like Noth is pushing these people to cause sins and then trying to make them feel bad about doing whatever sin that he forced them to do. I agree with you. I do think that Father Noth is very controlling. But for the sake of us knowing what's going on, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we're going to dig into this a little more because I don't think... A lot of these things that are haunting people, the memories of like drowning, poisoning people with lie, and what's happening with Blake, I don't think that those events were anything that Father Noth, Papa Noth, set into motion. He is asking people to kill their children. (laughs) There's a note referencing someone coming here, joining this cult. So, yes, I agree with you, but I don't know that Father Noth is making people do these things that are haunting them. I guess maybe not even the haunting part, but more so just the controlling the people. Like, yeah. the people being a bit too power hungry. If he's not connected to Murkoff, he's benefiting from Murkoff as much as you can as an insane person. Because these damaged people who are now being affected by Murkoff are very easy to manipulate. And I think that's kind of what we're saying with him. But yeah, back specifically to this recording. So we both think that this is Father L talking to Blake, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly it wasn't suicide, so someone had to write that suicide note on the blackboard. Do you think that he had Blake write it on the board and that's why he's saying, like, this is our secret? Yes, but I feel like we also don't have a whole lot of evidence that really points us towards that direction. 
But also, if not him, then who? Right. And so that's my follow-up question. Either someone had to have written that other than Jessica, or a lot more of these flashbacks than we realize is manufactured by Murkoff. Potentially, almost everything we see could be manufactured by Murkoff just based off of Blake's memory. They're... Mm -hmm. Because, you know, dreams are weird. So somehow they're enabling nightmares and all of this stuff is now a living nightmare for Blake. But how much of it actually happened? How much of these these quotes, the, the phone call, how much of that was actually said and is a memory versus whatever the engine is doing to Blake's brain and making him hallucinate? I think that's the question. How much is real? How much is memory rooted in reality and how much is Murkoff manufactured. But the thing is, how does Murkoff manufacture this specific and tailored dream or knows how to tap into this kind of history? Like, that's where I'm confused. How does Murkoff have the capability of making its own worst nightmare into their own fears? They're somehow just screwing with biology, mm -hmm. screwing with brains. I don't think they're doing what Warnicky was doing mm -hmm. and having scripts and outlines that they basically hypnotize, brainwash people with. I don't think that's what's happening. I think they're mm -hmm. just sending out these radio waves. I think maybe there's some evidence of the morphogenic engine, but I think they're just sending this out and whoever it hits and affects, this is what happens to them. It just mm -hmm. makes their brain focus on these events so much that it, it's just all that they can, they can think of. Yeah. But again in this section, what is on him? This weird, shadowy, ghosty, misty thing is that's all so over him. Creepy. I that scared me. That I mean it's a lot scared scary. me, but I think it's the wall writer. I'm watching at about ten ten twenty mm -hmm. when he's in the library. So the first thing that we see before is this weird like veins, like the weird skin texture on the building, which is something I think could be effects of morphogenesis. And this kind of signals the arrival of the tongue monster. But before we see the tongue monster, we see this thing, this wall ridery thing. I don't know. I really feel like it's it's a wall rider, wall rider 2.0, and it just morphs into whatever the villain is in someone's nightmare. It's like a learning. It's like an AI wall rider <laughs> where it learns <laughs> what you're really afraid of and, and sort of morphs into that. And so in this case, it's like a shadow of the tongue monster. Yeah, maybe it's coming from the same machine that created the Wall Rider. So not even Wall Rider 2.0, but it's like the Wall Rider's cousin. Yeah, at least Wall Rider adjacent. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something similar, maybe some similar technology at work. Mm -hmm. All right, so Blake escapes back to the waking world, where he comes very close to getting snagged by the Nakey Pack. During his escape, he quickly finds himself back to school again. So... I think we kind of address this, but just in case, at least to, to further discussion. How come we see so much from the school hallucinated in the waking world, right? So he'll hear while he's in the waking world, Father L or see Jessica. And then when he's at the school in his dreams, we don't really see anything from the waking world. I'm even wondering, maybe it's the lesser of two evils that he's just seeing so much horror in real life that... His brain kind of retreats him to safer space, which was his, his school years. But at the same time, though, it still has to have that evil twist. So even though he felt safe in school, he, they still twisted it to show the worst possible things about that school. It's a new theory. 
I think it's just the effects of whatever's happening. It just hits that that memory so hard that it sort of takes over. Mm-hmm. And that's why we only see the mixed reality in reality, but we don't see the mixed reality in the nightmares. Mm-hmm. That's my theory. My fish is throwing rocks. I didn't know what that noise was. <laughs> hey, quit throwing rocks. Staring at me. <laughs> I swear he knows when we record. He knows to make noise. <laughs> yes, fish can be loud. <laughs> I didn't know that. And needy. He'll splash. He'll uh, suck up rocks and throw them at the glass. <laughs> anyway, after that little detour. So... Jess has been hanged and Blake is holding her body when the tongue monster appears behind her and starts chasing Blake, who ends up in the bathroom. Before we continue, did you have any notes on what we see in the stairwell? You just see her bloody. And right before that, you see, like, I call it blood ribbons because that's really what it is. It's crawling up the the walls. Maybe I need to go back, but it just, on her lower half, she's, like, sitting in pools of blood and almost looked like signs of rape that that's what the father did the father is like standing at the top right or is that the the next time we see them yeah so right now it's the tongue monster who i think we think could be father l and then these bloodlines we're talking about this is what Mm -hmm. i've been thinking could be the morphogenesis it's like weird something organic like something that looks like it would be in a body like blood vessels yeah, and again, it's it's surrounding the tongue monster, so it seems like those two are correlated. When the tongue monster is near, that stuff is near, and that's why I sort of cling to the, the morphogenesis, the morphogenic engine, which we know creates the wall rider. So could this be morphogenesis sort of in action, creating this new wall rider tongue monster thing? It's like we're seeing the inside of the morphogenic engine this time instead of just the outside. So yeah, this is when I start to be pretty convinced that the tongue monster is Father L. If you remember, I think it was the last episode, that that figure walking into the lake. I think if I showed that to you now, you would think that it is Father L. It's the same voice that we heard at the lake. And so I think that the tongue monster is Father L. Or at least how Blake sees him or how the engine twists him. I'm actually even thinking that maybe all this is also not. That he has multiple different names. I think the fact that he got away with killing a child just kind of shows that he's smart and I think he's cunning. And I think that's why probably is Papa Nut. Yeah, I don't want to get into this too much right now because I feel like we need the rest of the information mm-hmm. in this gameplay episode. So this might be something we address more in the summary. But there are a lot of parallels between what's happening in Blake's nightmares and in this village. Outside of his nightmares now, Blake eventually finds an elevator that takes him down to the mines. On the way down, he says, I can still save her, Jess. I just... Lynn. Her name is Lynn. So he's all mixed up, right? Do you think his brain is being affected? Definitely. I think it's the the switch between dream world and reality. He's not sure where he is anymore, maybe? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's gotten that far? No, because if he's gone that far, he wouldn't have remembered Lynn. Do you think he's just at times, not necessarily constantly, but do you think he's at times not sure Mm -hmm. where he is? What time period he is? Definitely. Okay. So we do at some point start to hear Lynn crying out. 
Blake is trying to find her to save her. And as he's wandering around, we do hear, again, the quote that you referenced earlier, but now, not at the school. It sounds like Father L saying, you're not Eva, Blake, just confused. And then we see the tongue monster sort of running towards him, but then like blinking out of existence right after we hear this voice. So do you at this point think that the tongue monster and Father L are for sure connected or what's your theory on this? I actually thought that it was an indication that all of them are connected no matter which realm they are. So in the school, we know it's Father L and my theory is that tongue monster is the same, same person. And then we hear that saying, but in reality, because he hears it again, and in reality, the biggest fear, the biggest threat is Noth versus the dream, the biggest threat is Father L and the, the tongue monster. I think it's just either sneak preview that they are the same person. So no matter which place you are at, at school or in reality, the stuff you hear, it's all from the same person, just different presentations of who that person is. Continuing on, Blake records a wall full of dead people. And he says that he's looking for his own face in this cave where all these bodies are strapped. And I'm wondering why would he, why would he say that? Did he already die or something like that? Or maybe did Jessica try to like kill him or the father try to kill him and then they weren't successful and now they're dead. And I don't know. Is he so confused to the point where he thinks his own body is there because he's just a spirit walking down that area? Yeah, I don't know, because he says, I checked faces looking for Lynn's, for my own, for Jessica. I don't get it. And my notes on this are just, what does he think is going on? And like you said, does he think he's dead? And then you'll notice in the gameplay, there's a couple seconds where I blurred it. It's a it's a crapshoot of whatever enemy jumps out of the shadows, if they're going to have a peen out or not. <laughs> the amount of times that I was editing... And had to pause and go, is that a peen? It's not okay. It's not is okay. That a peen or is that a little blurb? Is that just a skin tag? Or is that... <laughs> a what is that? Blake will soon be grabbed by Val. Val is referred to as a man throughout this game, but now there's 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 boobs. And I wasn't sure if I had to blur them or not, so I did. And I don't know if they're just made out of mud because there's mud all over all over Val. It's the newest kind of breast implants on the market. <laughs> Silicon? That's old school. We use mud now. <laughs> and it seems like they had something kind of iffy planned for him, but then the cave gives in and Blake has a chance to uh, break free. Eventually though, Val does catch up to Blake and he has some powdery stuff blown into his eyes and his camera taken. And then recovering from the effects of this powder, Blake starts walking towards a mob of people. I have in quotation marks. I don't know if you can call them people anymore. Where he sees Lynn displayed for a, a public birth. Frightening. And he tries to get to her, but is caught by Val, who forces... I think he's, he's, getting, he's getting assaulted right now, right? He definitely is. And then this is when he flashes back and has a vision of Jessica... On top of it. So was Jessica's bully or his rapist? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this is where things get weird for me. Why, when this happens to him, does he flash back to this memory? I'm confused, too. I don't really know why they would show that to us. 
I don't even know. I don't know how to even talk about this. So maybe we should just move on to scene four. Yeah. All right. So at the school, Jessica leads Blake through and they are interrupted by Father L. We finally get a good look at him who has overheard some of their conversation. And he asked Jessica, what don't you know, Jessica? In response to her saying, I don't know, to Blake asking why she wanted to come over to his house while his parents are not home. He continues to question them about what they're doing at school still, and he says to Jessica, do I need to call your father again? To which she strongly responds, no, please. Is this how he controls her? Because we saw in that earlier email to the guidance counselor that she has a poor home life. Do you think Father L is using this knowledge to control Jessica and use fear to control her into doing what he wants her to do? Definitely. I think he does whatever he can. And I think another side note, too, is as we are watching this guy, I don't know if it's a birthmark or some dried blood on his forehead or something like that. And I feel like there's a reason why he has that, but I don't really know what it is. So I just want to point it out in case you have a theory for that. I have a a loose theory. It's just like, because it's on his eye and we keep hearing references to the spider-eyed lamb which I think is the Antichrist, but I'm not positive. So I don't know if there's a connection there, and would that be another parallel between the nightmares and the waking world? So he tells Jessica to pray and Blake to go home and pray because they need to make it right. And he then again says to Jessica, will you help me make this right? And just a little bit earlier, we heard Val, as she was chasing down Blake, say, help me make this right. So this is another phrase. They're very similar. So is this just recycled writing or is this purposeful and there are these connections? I think it's, yeah, it's the big stuff in terms recycled as in that it's something that's so commonly said. And I really do think that it's a network. I'm like leaning into that idea because they can't all be the same person. So I'm really thinking that probably Father L, Noth, Val, everyone in that group that has power and authority always said the same kind of thing. And that's why a lot of the phrases we hear are being repeated among different people. Could they also just be phrases maybe used by manipulative people? Like, are these, you know what I mean? Like, just common phrases used by manipulators to control people? Probably. Jessica clearly does not want Blake to leave her, but he's forced out of the room. And as he's leaving, we hear Jessica screaming and then turn around to see her running away from Father L. Blake catches up to them. And this is when we find Jessica with a broken neck on the stairs and Father L behind her at the top of the stairs. You got any notes? (laughs) Yeah, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, it indicates that he killed her. No doubt about it. For me, it looks like he just snapped her neck, tossed her on the ground, and that's why there's it's not much of a bloody scene. It's a clean break mm-hmm. of the neck and her on the floor. I, I agree. So here's what I think went down. Like we've said, he used Jessica's abusive father to control her. But in this occasion, I think she felt maybe she could get away with Blake still being in the building. And this is when she ran away. He chased her. And then a struggle took place. And this is, like you said, Probably he just killed her and then made it look like an accident so that Blake wouldn't be able to say 
he killed her, you know, just outright. And then he stages the suicide and Blake is manipulated into never telling anyone what happened. It, it has to be. So earlier, and if it is correct that we hear a voice and we're thinking it's Father L, they said that, let me help you. I remember you being a young man. You've always been nervous. You don't have to be. So we know that Blake is very nervous and he probably is very timid mm-hmm. and he's not going to say anything. And I'm sure he's in shock, too. Yeah. When you're in shock, like, you just sort of, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I think it's too late by the time he realizes the level of the manipulation for him to go back. There's no evidence to suggest that he went to authorities and tried to get this man punished. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence to say that he tried to right his wrongs and tried to bring justice. I think it's just something he had to put in the back of his mind and try to move on from, but it was still there. And Murkoff found it. (laughs) But Blake holds Jessica, and when he does this, he's transported back into the mines. He quickly runs out after the the Nothers have arrived to raid the mines, so he runs away from them. And outside the mines, he finds a very pregnant one, and they make a run for it through the now-scorched wilderness. It kind of looks like the sun is eclipsing. There's weird firestorms, windstorms. So who's really controlling that? And my theory is that it's whoever does a lot of the radio tower and everything. They probably have ability to manipulate the weather, but we don't really know. I think it's either something physically that Murkoff's doing or maybe just something that they're implanting in brains, like a mass hallucination. He does film all of this, and when he reviews it, he says, We're out. I got Jessica out. It was cold, but the snow had just started. We'll find a grown-up, and we'll tell them what happened. We'll be okay. It's not my fault. So this is a little confusing, because that's clearly not something that happened, because she's dead. So do you think he's just confusing current time with what he wishes had happened in the past? He didn't get to Jessica in time in the past, and mm-hmm. it was too late. But he, in this right moment, he has Lynn. And so this is, like, his one chance of redeeming himself. So it's not like... He's cleared his sins or anything. It's just his chance mm-hmm. to clear his sins and feel less bad about himself. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is him sort of playing out what he wishes he had done. Mm-hmm. And he's just so confused and mixed up at this point that mm-hmm. it's coming out of his brain as this is actually what happened. I did save her. They're soon chased by Marta. And she's about to kill Blake when a cross from the top of the chapel falls off and impales her. Pretty poetic. Very symbolic in the sense that the one thing that they really believe in, I guess, is really what ended her life. I like it because it's poetic, but it's kind of a a dark way, but in a dark Mm -hmm. justice kind of way, because obviously this is not a real religion, what's been happening here. The C word is not in, I don't think it's in any religious text, but it's almost like saying Noth was wrong. You know what I mean? Because we have those documents where Noth is telling Marta, mm-hmm. you're not sinning by killing people. You'd be sinning to not like cleanse. But then the cross falls off and mm. kills her. So it's sort of like proving him wrong, I guess. It's mm-hmm. almost like a jab at mm-hmm. that. Here's where, I, again, it's confusing because... It falls off because it's struck by lightning, but we're not sure if the lightning's real or not. (laughs) Actually, the more I think about it, 
the 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 coincidence of everything the storm happening seems way too man-made and man-controlled and i'm even wondering wild theory here is that whoever is seeing everything and knowing when to control the storm maybe they purposely made it so the lightning struck the thing so it it killed her because they needed like alive to continue well that raises a good question of like how how much control would Murkoff have? Can you press a button, set a target, and say lightning strike right here? You know, how much control do they have? Eventually, Blake and Lynn will make it to the chapel where Lynn gives birth, which is disgusting. But she says there's nothing there, even though Blake is holding a baby. I'm so confused. So Lynn dies. And if we go back again to that document from Whistleblower... The non-existent child and death were symptoms of the morphogenic engine. So we have both of those happening here, at least from Lynn's perspective. Obviously, she's, she dies. Then she says that there's nothing there, which makes me think it's one of those non-existent children. But then the question is, why does Blake see it? Either he has been impacted and affected by everything so much that he sees a child... Or that they're wrong. There is a child. And doesn't that go back to your original question of why they even came here first? Was because they're investigating mysterious pregnant woman dying? Mm-hmm. Hold on. I had a memory of the first game. I feel like there's a line where Warnicky or somewhere says, says like a truer way of seeing. No, I think you're right. They did say something about that. That's why they yeah. had to use the engine or something that... I can't find the line. It might be in a document, so I'll have to look it up and maybe it's in the summary, but my thought is like this truer way of saying if this is indeed something that we're remembering correctly is that what now has implemented itself into Blake's mind and that's why he's able to see this child? But didn't the other guy, he's able to see the child, right? Yeah, but think about how long he's been in this town being affected by all these tests. Mm. So I guess... My theory potentially is that the tests are what gives you this truer way of seeing. That's unfair for Lynn, though. She's been through a lot, too. I mean, like, she had to push a child out. And and, and <laughs> she still didn't see anything, though. I don't know if she has a memory like Blake does. So mm-hmm. maybe it just couldn't activate in her as much. And maybe even the fact that she was taken down to the mines. Maybe mm-hmm. that shielded her a little bit from the radio waves. I don't know. It's just a theory. Do we need to do a so long for Lynn? We don't really know her, though. (laughs) We don't really know her. I don't know why, but I don't think she seems to be a fantastically upstanding person. I don't necessarily think she's a bad person. She's neutral. Yeah. All right. So long, Lynn. We can't categorize you. I apologize. Noth is here now. He says, I've taken care of all my children. I killed... All my children, basically. I think he might even say that. But he continues to say, but yours I am powerless against. What do you think that means? I feel like when he says it like this, it goes back to a disagreement on our previous theory about the truer eye of seeing things. I think that it truly is that most babies are nothing, and especially from the mom's perspective, but... This is one of the where it's supposed to be nothing, 
but it somehow is a baby and maybe that's why he struggles with killing is that he knows that this one should have been nothing in terms of like the meaning of the baby but this baby somehow carries some kind of meaning and I think it maybe even has to do with him witnessing how how bad the storm is before leading up to the birth and the moment this baby is born it's all calm it's like perception it's about meaning of what this baby holds that maybe the baby wasn't supposed to live this long or something I I don't really know we were talking about connections between these two characters that is actually a theory I had I didn't include in any of my notes here but I was maybe going to talk about in the summary is like are they the same person you asked me about the scar on the father's eye right and we're like oh maybe like spy red lamb but also Noth cut his eye out but the only issue is on the father the birthmark is on his right eye mm-hmm. and Noth cut out his left eye so I feel like it would be a lot more compelling if it was the same eye <laughs> he asked Blake to kill his child and then he kills himself thoughts why like, why would he think that he, this guy would still listen to him? It's interesting. Clearly, he still thinks it's the Antichrist. But is it too late at this point? I feel like if it's born, it's kind of kind of too late. Blake records Noth, uh, dead and slumped over. And when he reviews it, he says, The priest dies. You didn't have to do anything. You were a child. Nobody could expect anything of you. None of this is my fault. Does Father L die? A lot of the times where he reviews his recording, he's referencing the past. So I'm assuming that that's who he's referencing and not just Noth. And then my question was, could this tie Father Elenoth together as well? Or is he just finding the similarities and sort of mixing sort of like he was thinking Lynn was just now he's thinking Noth is Father L? I think there's more connection. I think that I'm still leaning towards the theory that it's a network. They're not the same person. And I do think that maybe Father L might still be alive because he said that not killing is worse. And maybe it's just his regret of not making sure that Father L is dead by his own hands. But I don't understand why he keeps saying that it's not his fault. Is this the moment of where he forgives himself knowing that it's not his fault Jessica's dead? Is not his fault that Lynn's dead? I think so. And I think even maybe just this, the, the visual of him seeing this priest dead Mm-hmm. is sort of like, oh, that's the real villain. He heads out with the baby and records the scene in town. It looks like a mass suicide. They all drink cyanide. Do you think it's a mass suicide? Or do you think that prior to Noth coming in, he instructed the people to drink the cyanide? Oh, yeah. I think it's all part of the, the failure plan. Mm. If we don't stop the birth, then we're not going to want to be here for what happens, so... But he does record this and says, she's going to be okay. You have her. She'll get to grow up. She'll do everything she was born to do. Is he not hallucinating anymore? Is he talking about this actual baby or is he somehow referencing Jessica? Maybe this is Jessica and Lynn reincarnated into this baby. But at the same time, I feel like maybe he's just saying words to reassure him because it looks like the sun's about to freaking explode or something. Yeah, the sun is pulsing and growing bigger. Until it engulfs Blake in a bright light, sending him back to the school. And he's with Jessica again. She calls him to the storage room where she starts saying a prayer. Is he dead? Did he just die in a sun explosion? Maybe. 
I mean, we don't know that, <laughs> but why not? Yeah, or is he now permanently stuck in Dreamland? I think he's just toggling between the two and they just chose to end it there. I think he's still alive. Okay. I honestly don't know. But Jess also says that she'll never let him go. And I think that with this baby why I think it's Jess reincarnated is that she said she'll never let him go. And that's why she's back in the baby form and he has to take care of her. But I do think that the whole forgiveness thing is that it ended too abruptly for Blake and he couldn't forgive himself. But then now that if she's the baby, maybe it's his way of being able to forgive himself because he knows that she has a second chance that she can extend her life and he's going to do his best to keep this child safe and be able to grow up. Something mm-hmm. that just never got to do. Yeah. But my other thoughts I had was that why choose to end this game with her talking about that and why not end it moments before where it's just him looking at a sun potentially exploding. So you're asking why they ended it with Jessica? Mm-hmm. Because I thought a good ending would have been him just staring off in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is where, you know, you like those endings and I like the kinds of endings you hate because They're my answer to your question would be, this is an indication maybe he's permanently stuck in a nightmare land. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm good. We really wrapped it up well. <laughs> Genuine surprise that we're able to wrap it up to to this extent where I'm comfortable with ending our part four and saving any remaining questions for the summary. Should we end it though with the uh, battery and bandage counts? Mm-hmm. What do you think for batteries? Batteries, I feel like it was really low this episode. I'm gonna say four. Not quite. Two? No. <laughs> Seven. Oh. Okay. Bandages, I'll say four again. Nope. Seven. I'll do seven. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what? I'll tell you uh, in the summary episode how close you were to being correct. I'm curious. Okay, let's end it. Yes. Studacity on one, three, two, one. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to send in any questions, comments, or game suggestions. You can find all our contact info on our website, replayreviewspod.com, or contact us directly through our site. Did we completely miss something? Are we way off the mark? Or do you just want us to take a deeper look at anything from the game? We'll tackle any topics you all want to hear in our season wrap-up episode. We also have a Reddit where we discuss anything we're curious about. Go take a look and let us know what you're thinking. Our theme music is Condemned by Eggy Toast. They'll play you out and we'll be back next week with the summary episode.